This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. The U.S. presidential uh, debate, the second one. I'm not sure where we go from here, really. Um, but uh, it certainly does look like uh, they have sunk to a new low. We all, of course, uh, heard and saw uh, what had happened in regard to the Billy Bush interview several years ago and the uh, the discussions that were had on that bus and and. Uh, the allegations and, and things that were said that were, I don't need to repeat them here, but of course you know what we're talking about. And uh, that continued obviously into the debate, and as soon as it got into the debate, then of course uh, I guess Donald stood up and basically said, well, Bill Clinton's no different, no better. And then it just kind of went from there. Uh, to talk more about all of this, and specifically where does the Republican Party go from here now that uh, they are... I guess even more so fleeing uh, and trying to put distance between them and Donald Trump. Uh, James Campbell is with us, distinguished professor in Department of Political Science at the University of Buffalo is with us and on the line now. Good afternoon, James. How are you today? Very good, Scott. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for taking the uh, the, the time to join us. We certainly do appreciate this. Uh, what is your thought on the debate that you saw over the course of the weekend? Well, I actually, I thought uh, Donald Trump did quite well in the debate after, uh, you know, as you mentioned, a, a very um, bruising, um, self-inflicted uh, wound or something that came back to haunt him um, 11 years later. But, uh, you know, that did a lot of damage to, uh, to, to him. I mean, I, I think for some of some observers, uh, we weren't entirely surprised by this i mean he's um, you know somewhat of a vulgar uh, crude uh, guy and um, so it, it shouldn't shouldn't have surprised uh, those who had seen him through the course of the nomination process still it went to you know new depths i think and uh, that uh, and actually hearing it i think was shocking for a lot of people uh here's what hillary had to say in regard to what was said on that audio tape he has said that the video doesn't represent who he is, but I think it's clear to anyone who heard it that it represents exactly who he is. And this was, of course, Donald Trump's response. This was locker room talk. Uh, I'm not proud of it. I apologize to my family. I apologize to the American people. Certainly, I'm not proud of it, but this is locker room talk. James, what are your thoughts on uh, on on his? I guess he did apologize at one point on this. What were your thoughts on his comment about it being locker room talk? I guess we've all said things we wish we hadn't. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think um, I think it's a it's a it was a probably mistake on his part to even characterize it uh, as locker room talk because uh, then you get into exactly how far does that go in most cases, uh, and it doesn't go anywhere near. Any locker room that I've never been in in my life, I've mean, never, never heard anything like uh, what was said on that bus. Uh, so I think he, that was a mistake. I think he should have just come out and said, "This is uh, this was 11 years ago. This was, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, bragging to this younger guy, trying to impress him for some reason, and uh, but this is wrong, and um, uh, you know, and and I uh, admit it, and." Uh, Wanted, you know, my, I've moved on with my life, uh, and, um, and I'm not the person I was 11 years ago. Is this I mean, one I of the? I think that's what he should have done. He should have. It should have been more of a straightforward apology. Keep Bill Clinton out of it. People know what Bill Clinton did or didn't do, and the whole mess over there. You're just you're just muddying the waters by even getting into that. Uh, so I think just uh, you know be straightforward. In the first debate, Hillary Clinton. Uh, when when the uh, email scandal came up, which is which was really in many ways a, vi a violation of federal law, she went um, she got by that in the first debate by simply saying, "I, you know, I I made a mistake. I'm, I apologize. I take full responsibility." And boom, that's it. It's sort of, uh, um, and and he, I think he should have taken sort of the same approach to us. Just say, you know, this is this is awful. Uh, you know, but it was 11 years ago. It was words. Let's move on. Uh, he he does he understand less is more in situations like this? No, no. He <laughs> wants to, he wants to fight everything to the, uh, you know, to the to the end. And I I think he, uh, you know, who knows in either of these cases whether. The people are apologizing for what they did or 
what they said or whether they were just sorry to have gotten caught. Um, you know, I'm sure it's a mix of both in both cases. Uh, the difference is one is personal and the other involves public policy. And I think because the first, the, the, uh, Trump's problems are more salacious, they they get sort of uh, un uh, or disproportionate amount of attention because of that. Uh, he he obviously um, in all of this, and, and instead of doing as you said, James, and just uh, you know made the apology and moved on, he he brought up Bill and basically said, "Well, gee, is he any different?" Uh, and, and then of course we saw that shot of Bill in the audience. I thought he was going to come right out of the crowd and onto the stage. Um, uh, either way, women are still the victim here, whether it's Bill or Donald. Did that wash? Do you think? Well, I think uh, no. I, I think it. it for Trump, I mean, uh, stepping back from this, for Trump, if the election is about Trump, he loses. Yeah. If if the election is about um, the state of the country and the state of the world and Hillary Clinton's 30 years or 25 years, whatever, is, uh, in public life in which she has not left the, us in any better position than, than we are, then I think Trump could win. So any any time that's spent on anything other than the record and Hillary Clinton's record um, is is a mistake for Trump. Hmm. All right, now it looks it even appears today that more and more of the party is separating themselves and trying to put distance between them and and their candidate, which has some which has Trump supporters obviously upset. They want the support of the party. Uh, what happened with Paul Ryan? How does that play out in all of this? Well, I think the party establishment, at least those that are publicly uh, distancing themselves from Trump, are making a, a big mistake. Um, one, they are Republicans. He is a Republican. He is the Republican nominee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't distance yourself from from him in any effective way. Uh, second, I think uh, by doing so publicly, um, they are only extending and deepening the conflict within the party. Republicans, like Democrats, in order to win elections, they have to unify their parties and then reach out to the, to the center. And, and so I think what Ryan and McCain and, and the others who, who have rebuked Trump should say simply is, we think what he said was awful. We can't defend that. And then move on. We, you know um, that uh, you know he he's as bad as he is. Uh, he's uh, in terms of public policy, he would be uh, an improvement over the Obama Clinton years. So I think that's what they. So do. why are they doing this, James? Are they looking down the road at their own future uh, political careers? I mean, have they played out what a plan B would be, would be if if they decided to abandon Donald? I mean, what do you do for the next four years if you abandon abandon <laughs> Donald? Well, I think I think they're being short sighted, uh, you know, and um, you know, I, I it's the immediate response by a lot of people would say, "Well, listen, I don't want to be associated with this guy." This what he what he said here was just awful. Uh, but uh, you know, it is, doesn't really concern at least directly public policy, and I'm not even sure how you could see it indirectly affecting it. Um, and uh, the uh, the vote is a choice. It's either going to be Donald Trump in some kind of mishmash of conservative perspectives and generally agreeing with what Ryan and McCain and and the rest of Republicans uh, would like in government, or Hillary Clinton, which is, you know, the status quo, um, you know, a liberal agenda, pretty much following up sort of a third Obama term. And I I think that's a clear choice, and what what this scandal didn't change that, at least in my mind. I I think it's still still framed in terms of public policy the same way that it was. So I think for, for Republicans, they should try to... Move this off the off the front burner hmm. and get on with the with a real choice that will affect Americans, uh, uh, both uh, the economy and domestically, and, and also international uh, foreign policy uh, over the next four years. Here's Pence on uh, Trump's apology. 
but takes a big man to know when he's wrong and to admit it and to have the humility to apologize and be transparent and be vulnerable with people. Are, are Republicans wishing that Donald would just get out of the way and let Pence move in? <laughs> well, I think, I think yes. I think that would be, uh, um, um, most Republicans would probably agree with that. Uh, but are, are, it's not going to happen. And so, you know, you, 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 you know, none of these are ideal choices. They never are. This is probably less than ever. And so uh, you, you make the choice that you're, that's presented to you and, um, and, and have, to, have to vote for the lesser of two evils. How tight are Pence and Trump? Uh, there was a question uh, in regard to, I, I think it was Syria and, right. and, and Assad and such, and they had two different takes as to what they would do. Right. And, and, and I think Trump's response was, well, I haven't talked to him on this. Right, right. So w- what's your impression of that? Well, uh, you know, what we have here in Donald Trump, and a lot of this goes back to Trump not being uh, an experienced politician and having a record over time. Um, you know, what, you know, so people may not be clear about what his position is, and, and Pence is not a, uh, has not run for national office before. Presidential and vice presidential candidates are never identical in terms of their policy positions. Usually they have pretty good records, so they would know each other's record just by, you know, so over the years they get get it, uh, an idea. Um, and so they could smooth out um, any differences. So I don't think this is unusual. If Trump and Pence were elected, there'd be, you know, they would, there would be a, a, a chief of staff and they'd have a cabinet and and they could iron out all their differences. You know, we know differences exist within administrations. But they're, you know, kept uh, at a low level and not made public so that the administration speaks with one voice. So and these, are, these are the kinds of things that can be ironed out. So I'm, I'm not worried at all, really, about, uh, about that. So where does the Republican Party go from here, James? I mean, how big a blow is this that what seems to be happening um, this week? Uh, how do they rectify this? How do they move forward? Well, uh, that's a great question, um, and it's, uh, you know, I think all sides have set this up to, to be a bumpy road to, uh, to, to pulling the party back, uh, back together. I think the key is focus on the issues, focus on the things that they have in common, uh, that all Republicans, from Trump to Paul Ryan and, and Ted Cruz, that all of them have in common, and that is smaller government, uh, a, a more, more vibrant economy, uh, good trade deals, um, a, a reasonable foreign policy that uh, is, doesn't uh, set up idealistic kinds of choices and makes matters worse. So I think the focus on the common bounds, I think that's what everybody ought to be doing uh, to, to reunify the party. You know, that, that's the, parties that, the, the parties, they're all Republicans for a reason. And they may not have exactly the same idea of conservatism, and I'm sure they don't, but they, there is some commonality there, some common ground within the party that they all ought to be staking out and emphasizing. Where does the third debate go from here? Well, I, I, think, uh, I think Trump, uh, for his part, has to uh, go on the offensive on, on this, um, you know, um, in sort of on maybe taking two tacks. One is the major message has to be, I think, that uh, Americans want change. They aren't happy with the direction of the country, uh, either internationally or domestically. And Hillary Clinton is just the opposite of change. She's been around and part of the ruling establishment for many decades. And then second... um, Secondarily, uh, I think challenge uh, Clinton's trustworthiness. Uh, you know the uh, the WikiLeaks um, emails that that came out, and um, certainly the the, the uh, issues concerning uh, the Clinton Foundation have hardly been scratched in the first uh, two debates. So I think that that's uh, that's Trump's tactic. I think Clinton, if Clinton goes into the third debate. With um, you know something close to a double double digit lead, uh, she just has to make sure she doesn't make mistakes, 
and appears calm and not doesn't get rattled by the uh, by the attacks. Was Trump prepared this time, James? I think he was uh, certainly much better prepared than the than the first time. And you know, even more than preparation, I think he was um, a little bit more disciplined. He still missed a lot of opportunities to make his points, but he, he didn't go off. You didn't hear Rosie O'Donnell's name. So, <laughs> Good you know, point. You, you know, you didn't hear, you know, and there was no Miss Universe, and there's all this nonsense that he's been uh, too prone to, uh, to to take the bait on in uh, in the past. So uh, he's uh, he may have learned a little bit from the first debate, and then we'll see if he learns any any more. Uh, I'm sure he, you know he's getting better um, campaign um, uh, advice than he did initially, I think. Uh, or at least he seems to be getting a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more focused on the, on the message. The things that you really would su- suspect voters would, uh, uh, would vote, voters would want to hear about uh, in making a serious decision. James Campbell has been with us, distinguished professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Buffalo, and his latest book, Polarized, Making Sense of a Divided America. James, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Well, glad to have been on, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Alyssa Freeman is with us, PR, Alyssa PR Communications, uh, Huffington Post, Canada.com, PR Daily, and is with us now. Alyssa, how are you today? <laughs> Where do we start? I don't know. Where do we start? I was also watching the baseball game with friends, and it was one of those things where I just sort of stopped watching the game and decided that uh, I needed to pay attention to the debate. So, But everything that's happened since then is beyond the realm. So uh, let, let's go back to uh, the, the stuff on, on the bus and what happened with uh, Billy Bush. And by the way, is his career over now, too? You know what's mind-boggling to me, Scott, is that a guy who is a broadcaster has lost his job because of the remarks that he said against women, and there is still a man running for president of the United States. Hmm. Where, where, you know, explain to me the logic in that. So what, and again, excuse me if I'm ignorant on all of the tape, because we only really seem to hear the Donald Trump part. What mm-hmm. part did Billy Bush say that was... I think, you know, what the problem was is this. Number one, he was complicit. Yeah. Uh, number two, when you're working on these morning shows, they tend to be primarily staffed by women. So for Billy Bush to come back after being complicit and egging Donald on, and since that time, everybody's been dredging up every piece of videotape they can find about Billy Bush for the last 10 years, Mm -hmm. and essentially, you know, airing everything that he has ever said that was slightly offensive, overly offensive, and salacious against women. So, you know, from a PR standpoint, he did the right thing and got a statement out fast. But the ramifications are, well, you know what, you may have done that, but still, we need to find, you know, we need to find somebody guilty in this in this circumstance, and you're certainly not going to work here anymore. And from what I read, this went all the way up to the CEO. Hmm. Um, just it went past the producers, it went past the show producers, it went all the way up to the corner office. And I think that at, originally they thought, okay, you know what, he'll apologize and we'll bring him back. And then there was sort of an uproar from the people who would have to work with Billy. Hmm. And there may have been more internal politics, I mean, who knows. But for now, he needs to lay low. So is, is, Bilty beyond, is Billy uh, beyond guilty by association then? Yeah. Yes, he is, because he, you know, the, the thing about it, it, this is, you're going, oh, he was a young guy, he was just being sort of what men do. You know, the issue is, is that it's not okay in the first place. You know, I know lots of men who've been in lots of locker rooms, and, you know, the talk isn't always like that. So to slough it off as something that this is just something that men do doesn't make it okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue. So some people are saying, yeah, it's just locker talk, and that's what Trump is saying, and that's what his, his supporters are buying. 
But Locker Talk doesn't make it okay anytime, anywhere to talk that way about women. So that being said, it does seem ironic that Billy's out of a gig, but Trump isn't. Well, very ironic. And, you know, so it it was interesting. I was watching um, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah last night, and he had a segment. And, you know, I encourage your listeners, if they can get onto YouTube and watch it, it's called Scumbag Millionaire. And it, 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 it was very, very clever. And, you know, post-debate is really when the narrative continues and it gets compounded. So this is when you start pulling apart what Trump looked like, the way he was stalking the stage, the yeah. way he was just flouting, okay, well, I'm going to put you in jail. Gee, Donald, that's what dictators do to their opponents that they don't like. That's not what we do here in a, in a democratic nation. So if we were to vote you in, we can get some sort of flavor of what Donald would do to the people that he doesn't like. Hmm. And uh, the other interesting thing is, is that all these emails have since been released by WikiLeaks. And I have to say, from what I've read and what I've heard, there is some pretty damaging stuff in there about how government works, how the Clintons uh, have said government needs to work, you need to hold a private position as well as a public position to get anything done. Mm. There could be some, in any other uh, presidential race, this would be devastating. But here you are up against somebody who is incredulous, and it gets more mind-boggling each day that these emails actually don't matter. Hillary is getting a real pass with this. You know, you bring up a very, very valid point uh, in the sense that, uh, and we were just talking to our last guest about this, is that Donald doesn't seem to understand that less is more in certain things, and he gets so drawn into the weeds and so drawn into the muddy water that that he lets, uh, he misses opportunities, basically. Well, here's the issue. I think that Donald wants media no matter what. Yeah. I don't think he cares. You know, there's a saying in PR that, you know, any media is good media. I would say no, that is not true because it can damage your reputation. So if people are talking poorly about you, is that a good thing? Well, no, it's not a good thing. Just because you're in the news because of it, is that a good thing? No. But, you know, the Trump campaign seems to subscribe to that. And so, you know, when the attention is not on Donald, he does something even more erratic and even more out of the box to keep the attention on him. So not having that attention drives him crazy. Uh, you know, the, pro- the professor we just had on even said, like, uh, you know, why even try to categorize this as locker room tr- talk? Why not just say, I'm sorry, and move on? Why try to justify it and, and even bring in Bill? I mean, my goodness, didn't we all just feel dirty when that sort of exchange went back and forth? You know, you could categorize it as, and just apologize and move on. But it seems that, you know, he doesn't want it to move on. And I think that they believe that they're only playing card that's left is this whole um, Bill, Bill Clinton, um, you know, mess that happened about two decades ago. So he's not going to say story that, sorry that he's going to continue on that narrative, and he says it's going to get even worse. I mean, you know, all the rules around uh, diplomacy and how debates should run have basically all been thrown out the window. Now, Hillary's still playing by those rules in order to, you know, show her to be statesmanlike, and the most recent poll showed the mind-boggling numbers that her post-debate bump was something like 11%. 11% ahead mm-hmm. of your opponent in the election is huge. Donald said that uh, everybody says that he won. Did well, we, did of course. We, did I mean, we, each did side, we see? I mean, this is to be predicted. Guess what? For the next debate, <laughs> Scott, he's going to say he won and she's going to say she won. Uh, did, did we find many polls that say that he won? Well, only the ones that he subscribes to or the sites that support him, like Drudge and maybe Breitbart. So, yeah, there will be um, polls on the record that will say he won, absolutely. I wouldn't say that they're, you know, uh, unbiased organi- news organizations, but they're they're definitely his media organizations. All right, let's talk about the rest of the party distancing themselves from mm-hmm. him. Uh, obviously, Ryan has come out and said, that's it, I'm out, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, at what point do you do you just take it and and support the candidate? I mean, is the party not bigger than the candidate? Well, I think that uh, Trump doesn't care about the party. He is with the people who follow yeah, him. Yeah, but does the... Ryan care about the party? Well, Ryan cares about the party. That is for sure. And he's going to now concentrate on making sure that Congress and um, the House of Representatives is still uh, Republican-leaning 
which can really hamper a presidency. I mean, look at Obama, right? You know, he won, mm-hmm. but he didn't rule the House nor the Congress. So uh, with that um, in play, that's what they're concentrating on. Like, they don't want to be aligned with Trump and his values, but they're trying to bring back and trying to maintain that the Republican, the, the last shred of decency of what is now left uh, for the Republican Party. But isn't, and, that, isn't that just, isn't that passing the buck on the responsibility of the party? At the end of the day, whether they want to believe it or not, it's his fault there that he's there. How I can know, you walk away from that? I know, but they still want to win. It's, it's, yeah. it's, you know what? It's an evil, it's an evil, evil circle. You know, they still want to win. They want to keep their congressional seats, but they don't want to align themselves with Trump. So they're sort of like, you know, they're going to fish, they're going to fish, but they're still going to cut bait at the same time. Mm. Now, what's interesting is that I was looking at my own feed and in Facebook, and people are either totally aligned with Paul Ryan, or they can't believe they, they're absolutely incensed that these guys have cut bait. And that they feel that the Clintons are horrible, horrible people. The government is corrupt. People are using people that I know and do business with are saying, you know, in the states, they're saying that this is a rigged system and we're in for four more years. Hmm. So the danger is, is that this is you, know, you have a two-party system in in the states, and we re- and we have a third-party system here. I mean, there are three parties. There's a libertarian, but I would say that the libertarian candidate who doesn't even know where Aleppo is in the states, yeah. I think, is a bit of a problem. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're in danger of dismantling that two-party system. And you don't want that because people need to have options. And Trump is now leading the completely disgruntled, the completely disenfranchised, who truly, truly believe that government is corrupt and he is the only one who can save them from that. And I found it interesting that everything, he he spins everything as if everyone is against him. For example, during the debate uh, on the weekend, uh, when when the moderator tried to take con- tried to take control, and I thought did a great job of doing so. Oh, I thought they did a great job. Yeah, when when they tried to get or when the when the uh, they tried to get control of him, he spoke up and said, "Why aren't you saying this to her? She's just gone over." And he just creates the illusion that everyone's out to get him. When in fact, after it's all over, we found out that Trump spoke longer than what Hillary did. Well, exactly, and it's all just a ruse because, as we know, his base doesn't necessarily read beyond the headline. So if they hear that she's speaking more than me, that's all they're going to hear. Are they going to wait to the end of the broadcast and see that he actually spoke for, what, one minute and ten seconds more than she did? No, they're not going to. He doesn't care. All he he wants is, it's the politics of illusion. Mm -hmm. That is what Trump is all about. And he's just going to put, you know, play himself as the real purveyor of decency in order to bring back, you know, government and give it back to the people. That's what he's trying to do. Unbelievable. All right. I can't let you go without talking about Samsung and what's going on with the phones. Uh, how do you handle this nightmare? You've, you know what, you know, obviously they've admitted there's a problem. They're starting to take all the phones out of stores. Um, you know, the, there would be a problem if they were hiding behind it. I, I think it's taken, well, there has been a lag time, actually, in that, in how many, in, in their sort of uh, decree to stores to take them not to sell the items. Mm-hmm. So there was, what, about a week between that? Yeah. Between that, they acknowledged that some of these are on fire and then trying to take them out of stores. Now, listen, taking uh, uh, a piece of merchandise out of a store when you've got millions and millions distributed worldwide is no easy feat. Plus, there's got to be a place, a way to ship them back. There's got to be a place to send them. So, you know, there are some logistics there. Um, you know, this is kind of like Tylenol. You remember when yeah. Tylenol was tampered with mm-hmm. and... Um, they eventually had to pull it off the shelves because they weren't sure how widespread the tampering was. You know, this is short-term pain. Um, well, you know, defined short-term in, in, in the eyes of Samsung, uh, perhaps for long-term gain. But, you know, they're doing the right thing by taking the phones out of the store. They, they will recover. But the one thing that they have to do is keep the public informed of what they're doing. They're taking the phones out of the stores. Now we're looking into it. This is what we found. This is what we're trying to. Um, this is what we're trying to fix. We're going to make a bigger and even better and fireproof phone. Uh, you know. So, you know, th- these are the things they they can't hide behind it. They can't go silent. 
um, about what's happening, they have to keep their customers informed. How does something like this get to this point, though? How does because normally you you try to prevent these sorts of things from happening. How does it get to this point? Sometimes things are out of your your control, Scott. Like they really are. So, you know, when you hear about four or five phones, and you're thinking, well, how widespread is the problem? You try and get a gauge on how widespread it is. Is this a one-off type of thing? So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts whenever you're dealing uh, with crisis communications. And you know, the number one rule is, you know, get out first, get out fast. So get in front of the story. But sometimes there are things that take the story out of your control and spin it out of your control. And you're not always in proactive mode, but you're in reactive mode. So, you know, will they get past this? At some point, yeah. Tomorrow, no. But they will at some point. In this industry, though, where things are ever-changing oh so quickly and what was great today is gone tomorrow, uh, where does this leave the future for them? Uh, you know, it's very interesting. You know, is this something where they want to, um, you know, stay in the mobile business? Uh, they have a huge stake in it, a huge, huge stake in this. Um, they really have to reevaluate their business channels. They have to reevaluate um, what type of financial hit that they're going to take on this. And they're going to reevaluate, you know, whether they can still be in this market. But only time will tell. Listen, there are certain things that have happened throughout history that have definitely changed things, for, and they've never been seen again. I remember decades ago, um, there was a disease in, in mussels around the, mm. uh, around the country, and any restaurant that was a, there was a restaurant that only sold mussels basically went out of business overnight. Mm. Now, that's one very sort of a micro example, and this is a, a monolith of a company. But um, to be sure, this issue has taken precedence precedence over anything else that they're dealing with right now. All right. Uh, one question I forgot to, ba- uh, to ask you getting back to the debate uh, and your thought on Donald Trump. Did you believe that he was more prepared this time? I believe that he was more prepared in terms of his temperament, although there are those ticks that he has that he can't help. So his sniffing was not a problem with the way he was mic'd up because he was having a handheld mic. I think he was more prepared in not taking the bait. That's how I think he was more prepared. The other way he was prepared is that he has a storyline, and he's absolutely sticking with that storyline, is that crooked Hillary, I would put you in jail, and government is corrupt, and Bill Clinton, um, what about everything that he did compared to what I did? Isn't that bad? That's the only four narratives you're going to hear coming out of his mouth. But what the Democrats do so well... So well is that they already have commercials going about, you know, the Mike Pence debate with Tim Kaine. People say that, oh, Tim Kaine didn't come out that well. Yeah, but he got Mike Pence to basically deny everything that will make him look foolish, and those ads will start. So the Democrats may be sort of operating us on a strategic level that is way beyond us, and they're already thinking three steps down the road on how they want things to unfold so that over the next less than 30 days, they can keep that negative momentum up. All right. uh, An emailer writes this in regard to uh, the philandering presidents. Uh, Give me a break. Presidents have been fooling around with women for years, decades. Kennedy, Marilyn Monroe, Bill Clinton has had in his antics. It's nothing new. And goes on to say, I hear a lot of women can throw it down just as bad as men, if not worse. Go into a stall in a woman's washroom. You read the walls worse than men. Go tell this woman to get off her high horse. Have times changed now? I think that we're talking about sexual assault here, and I would say to the person who emailed in that sexual assault is not uh, appropriate at any time. So there is a big difference here, and... The fact that he made reference to actually groping women. Yeah. Yeah. So sexual assault is never okay. It is never okay. And the fact that he overtly thinks that it is okay to talk to women like that, that it is okay to grab them at any time, it is okay to use his, his power as an excuse, as, as an abuse of that power in order to come on to women and, um, you know, with unwanted advances, that is not okay. And, you know, yes, presidents, I mean, it, 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 it has been proven through history that, you know, they may have had affairs, but that's not, well, it's a very, it's a very fine line, but what we're talking about here is sexual assault and absolute disregard for women and their position in society. So what do you think the third debate will be like? Um, I think that I think that uh, Trump will stick to his platform, as I said. Um, I'm wondering, though, if Hillary will still maintain sort of that very presidential tone, or they'll let her take the gloves off a little bit. 
I don't know. I mean, some people say that, you know, he kind of held his own in this debate, but she wasn't going to be taken in by his goading either. So, you know, a lot of people are saying that uh, who would support Trump, she's the lesser of two evils. I think that she has to maintain that, um, that neutral positioning, not be drawn in and stick to the issues. Do you think she will get such a free pass next time? If she runs again? No, meaning in the next debate. I it, mean, do you think he'll he'll dig down deep into some of this other stuff instead yes, of just... Yes, I think in, that he will dig down deep. In, I think instead that, of just the salacious uh, But crap. I will say one thing, is that I did see something today where Mark Burnett um, has warned anybody yeah. at any time who's ever worked in The Apprentice not to release any footage. And, you know, I reposted that and I said, you know, your actions actually speak volumes. So there's lots and lots of stuff out there, lots of it, and people are looking for it like crazy. Do we know where this uh, came from, the Billy Bush thing? You know, it's, you know, it's interesting. When his tax returns were mysteriously uh, delivered to the New York Times with the Trump Tower address, mailing address, some people say it was from his uh, very disgruntled second wife, um, Marla Maples. Wow. I've heard people saying that it was from the Ryan Romney camp. You know what? I mean, theories abound, but a lot of people, (laughs) one of the primary theories, actually, is that it was Marla Maples. So who knows? Alyssa Freeman has been with us, Principal Alyssa PR Communications. As always, lots of fun. We'll chat again. Okay, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. You like your Samsung? Samsung has stopped making the Galaxy Note 7 after halting its sales, also urged consumers that have the product to stop doing so. What does this mean? How does this company move forward? And how much does how much do phones, how much does Samsung uh, place on phones? Marvin Ryder is with us, business professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University. He is with us now. Hello. How are you, Marvin? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, we'll start with how important is the phone to the Samsung organization? Hmm. Well, uh, so uh, let me start this way slightly differently, Scott, if you don't mind. It, it gets confusing out there. It's like buying Mercedes-Benz or, or BMWs. You know, you get all these range of numbers. And so today, Galaxy has what we would call three flagship models. There's the Galaxy S7 there's the Galaxy Galaxy S7 Edge, and there's the Galaxy Note 7. So this recall is only on the Note 7 product. Now the difference between the S7, the S7 Edge, and the Note 7 is size. The S7 is the smallest of those three handsets. The uh, Note is the largest of those three handsets, and mm-hmm. the recall only affects the largest of these. So yes, it's going to take a hit. Uh, but the good news, I'm going to phrase it like this, the good news, at least it has some current products still out there as we head into this important Christmas season. Earlier today, I misheard the announcement. I thought they were recalling all the seven phones. This only is applying to the Note 7. So that's much better news than it was an hour or two ago where it looked like they would have no new product available for this Christmas season. Now, again, to give you a sense of this globally, globally Samsung sells about... 80 million phones a quarter. Uh, That gets them about 22% of the global market share. Uh, Apple, who you might think is the dominant player, is not. Globally, it's about half that market share, about 12%, and they would do about 40 million phones in a quarter. What we think this is going to mean for those people who want a large phone alternative, since there is no new Samsung product that works, is that they'll swing over to Apple. This probably means Apple's going to sell somewhere between 10 and 15 million more uh, more phones. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound like all that many, but at $700 a piece, this is going to be somewhere between three-quarters of a billion and a billion-dollar sales shift from the one brand to the other. And that is all what we'd call a short-term consequence of this as we head into this Christmas season. What it really means is your poll question Okay, so Samsung's had this problem. Can you trust Samsung again? At one point, they're going to tell you they're going to have an S8 phone or an S8 Edge or at some point maybe a Note 8, and they'll say, yes, we've got it all fixed now. Hmm. No exploding phones, no melting phones. Are you going to believe them? The only thing I will say in in Samsung's defense is, of course, it's a very big company. It doesn't just sell phones. Uh, You can buy a flat-screen TV. You can buy a 
a DVD player from them. You can buy gaming systems. They sell you uh, computers. They sell a range of products. Fridges. And refrigerators, washing machines, the whole sorts of things. And we'll come back to washing machines in a moment. But generally speaking, the other products are not having problems. And so, you know, this doesn't mean the end of Samsung because they are so diversified, but it's certainly going to be a hit, and we think it's going to be somewhere measured in the $1 to $2 billion range. How did Samsung get caught up in this mess? Why this one exploding, the other one's fine? Well, that's a really good question, Scott. So let, let me go back to the, the first, the, uh, the Note 7 in September, so roughly a month ago. Uh, there the problem was that they use batteries. So how these phones even work today compared to the old phones that they showed on the Canon television show back in those days, they were about the size of a shoebox, mm. is batteries. What's really made the difference is getting smaller and smaller batteries. But, of course, we use more and more corrosive materials for these batteries. Today, the standard battery is called a lithium-ion battery. If I could actually pull it out of the machine, it's not some little silver circle that you might see in some other things. It's actually like a, a little packet, a little thin packet. And on one side is kind of a lithium gel. On the other side is the ion gel. And it's separated by a piece of plastic film in between it. And it's that difference between these two gels that creates your power. Well, in the uh, Note 7 in September, in September... Uh, apparently this film had a tendency to crack and break, and when you let the material from one side into the other side, that would set off a chemical reaction which would cause the phone to heat up. And in extreme cases, if you couldn't dissipate that heat, the phone would melt and even catch on fire. So they had a recall. Middle of September, come back, bring it back, we've got a fix. But the fix doesn't seem to have worked. Now there were two aspects to the fix. One was they thought it was breaking because the packet was sort of free-floating in the phone, so they tried sort of gluing it in there so it wouldn't float around and then it would be less apt to break. And then, of course, they, they sort of updated the technology. They changed the plastic. The problem now is since it started again, they've already had five more of these uh, new phones, revised phones, start to melt again. They don't know what's causing the second round of melting. And so rather than saying, well, we've got another fix, and yet then there'd be a third problem, I think quite correctly the company said let's withdraw it. But honestly, Scott, I think they should have done it a month ago. If they didn't, if they weren't absolutely sure about the fix, this was the worst thing they could have done was put out a bad fix, and now it's doubled down on the problem. Uh, the only way out of this is to launch a new line of phones, and hopefully that one works well. Uh, how, how do you build confidence? Well, it now? will eventually. Remember, they've got a perfectly wonderful S7 phone and an S7 Edge, and, and frankly. You know, as a cell phone carrier myself, I don't want the big phone. Uh, yes, I appreciate it. I'm a little older, so the eyes are a little weaker, but I'm fine with the standard S7. So there are no problems being reported with the S7 or the S7 Edge phone, and those will continue on. So I don't necessarily think they have to immediately launch a new larger phone, but inevitably they'll want to do that. They'll want to compete in that space. So whenever they do it, they're going to have to do it with tremendous fanfare and lots of assurances and lots of transparency. Go back to your previous question. They're going to have to clearly explain why the previous phones were catching on fire and then why these new phones won't do that. Uh, as you mentioned before, other opportunity for other phone manufacturers. Uh, how do they view all of this? Well, the big, the big one in the United States, so I gave you some market share numbers globally. Globally, uh, Samsung about 22%, Apple about 12%. In the United States, these are both much bigger players. Uh, Samsung has 28% of the market just in the United States, Apple 23%. And you can be sure that Apple is going to probably, with humor, with humor as we head into the Christmas season, remind consumers that ours is the phone that doesn't catch on fire. Mm. And, and they'll just, you know, when, you, when your competitor is down... Just like in wrestling, you know, you step on them a little more until the referee calls halt. They will remind consumers especially because this Christmas season, this is the biggest time for selling phones. Really, the last three months of the year equal the sales almost in the previous nine months of the year. How is all of this increase with the fact that uh, airliners, uh, uh, travel companies, what, ha what have you, are very skeptical of letting you on a plane with one of these? Well, and see, what Samsung actually wound up doing was alerted people even more to this question of lithium-ion batteries. I can just take you back a couple of years ago to the missing Malaysian airliner that uh, we think crashed somewhere in the Indian Ocean. Mm -hmm. There seems to be uh, one of the things they're thinking, there was a large shipment of lithium-ion batteries in the front hold of that plane. 
And these batteries have a history of when they when something goes wrong that they get very hot very quickly and can have fires. This very well might have brought that airline down. So airlines have been concerned about lithium-ion batteries all along, but they seem to think that people would, you know, we could detect the heat ourselves. If it got hot, we'd turn it off, so on and so forth. They're now trying to say to people, again, if you just don't have to have your phone on, maybe it's a safety reason. I thought a comic in the United States made an interesting point. Uh, there was a passenger who got onto a plane, and just before it even took off, his phone started to heat up and even began to smoke. He dropped it on the ground, and, of course, the smoke continued. They evacuated the plane because it was melting the carpet. And he said, thank God that person happened to be Caucasian. Imagine if this had been a person of color with a phone that was smoking. Mm. Oh, sure, that's a phone, right, yeah. That, now we have a new form of a bomb to have to worry about. Yeah. And that's the climate we live in today, any device. <laughs> suddenly start smoking yep. that shouldn't be smoking mm-hmm. is cause for alarm. So I, I think everyone's going to watch closely. I think now we're all more aware of all of the phones. In that sense, Samsung hurt all of the phone companies, not just themselves. Uh, Christmas season, how does that upset the Apple cart? Well, you know, th- this is the biggest buying season. It's the favorite gift to give people at Christmas time. Yes, I know these phones can cost seven, eight hundred dollars if you buy them whole. If you buy them with a plan, of course, normally it's the monthly cost is more to bear. But lots of children were expecting phones, so um, I think what you're going to see is people are going to be less likely to buy a Samsung. We think we think it's probably going to amount to, you know, on the order of ten to fifteen million phones shipped. Fifteen million that would have been Samsung are now more likely going to be LG or Apple or some other technology that hasn't had this problem. But I can also tell you, Scott, that the other companies, uh, they are now double-checking, triple-checking their batteries because the last thing they would want to have now is for a problem there. So, it's again, when there's bad news for one person, you can use it as long as you don't have similar bad news. Good point. Marvin Ryder has been with us, of course, to Groot School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. Uh, Marvin Ryder has been with us. Uh, let's bring in Derek Sardo, president of Rolling Thunder, thunder.ca, to find out more uh, about them. And he is with us now. Hello, Derek. How are you today? Long time, Scott. How I you know. Been? What have you been up to? Ah, uh, you know, the same stuff. <laughs> I wasn't in the desert last week. Oh, well, how come? I was not. Duty, duty called, and I could not be there. Oh, man. The big one every year, you missed it. I know. Yeah. All right. So how concerned are customers about the Samsung phones, uh, well, specifically the Note 7? Well, I think it uh, it definitely tarnishes the, the name, and... Um, the problem is, generally, they've been good, and I don't even think it's the, the uh, Samsung problem. I think it's more the battery manufacturers, but uh, that's happened in the past. If we go back a couple of years ago, it happened to the, the Sony Xperia, and uh, they experienced problems. They sort of got over it, but this one is big because of the market share that the Note had, uh, and because it's tarnished, I think we'll see... Um, uh, like Marvin said, we'll see diminished rates, and and it could be, it could be up to a twenty billion dollar blunder, is what they're telling us. So surprised that the Galaxy S7 and the S7 Edge are fine, but the Note 7 they're having difficulties with. If it's all from the same sort of generation of phone or device. Uh, again, each battery has a different MA rating, and uh, the Note is a larger screen, and it has uh, a different digitizer to handle the. Uh, the uh, pen uh, uh, part of that. So it is a different battery and it's a different technology. So the fact that they got it wrong the first time, made corrections and, and still have it wrong, is the biggest blunder. Uh, I think they, uh, you know, they initially they had that problem and then they had it solved and then it, uh, it's reoccurred. So that's, that's, a, that's a big whammy for them. Uh, battery's always been an issue. How far have we come in their advancement, uh, especially as these devices continually change and become more advanced? Well, let's go back into history. When we had our flip phones, if we didn't charge our flip phone every day, we could use it for two or three or four days, remember? Yeah, yeah. We can't do that anymore because our phones do so much. Uh, and really... What drains the battery is is the uh, connections to the LTE or, or the carrier, the connections to the Bluetooth, which is our cars and our headsets mm-hmm. and our, uh, 
our uh, uh, whatever we connect it to, our computers. And then the other one is the Wi-Fi. So with those three new components to these phones that over our traditional cell phone, we're, we're, we're pulling that battery life way down. So most, most computers or most phones now are, are requiring a nightly charge, and we didn't need that in the past. Again, we're looking at new technologies that are coming out that will give us three and four and five days, but those haven't hit yet. Uh, well, I guess if you're just using it as a phone, it lasts for three or four days. If you're using it for anything else, it's a bit it's Well, a bit we're not just that. using it. That's yeah, the thing. Exactly. We're not just making yeah. calls. Uh, we're, we're consuming high-definition video yeah. on, on YouTube, and we're, we're doing uh, FaceTimes and Skype calls and, and things like that that, that aren't traditional, uh, but now they are. They're, they're run-of-the-mill, and, and they do take up a lot of battery power. Will Samsung just go on to the next generation, just go on to an 8, just go on to a next model? Yeah, and, and again, um, I think people will forget. It's pretty easy to forget. We can, we can look through history at recalls, and people do forget. Uh, but the immediacy right now, if you're going to buy a Samsung, you're going to have this the tarnished name in your in your head. I have so I have Samsung TVs. I love my Samsung mm-hmm. TVs. They haven't blown up yet, which is good. Um, I have Samsung fridge, <laughs> still, yep. and I do. So I like the product. You know, and every manufacturer is is uh, has these problems, and every manufacturer. And I try and tell my clients this all the time. Every manufacturer has good product, and every manufacturer has bad product. You can take Microsoft, you can take Apple, you can take um, uh, Lenovo, or any of these products. They have a good line, and they have a cheaper line. And so uh, we can weed that out. So basically, I have to help my clients figure out what products to buy, because there's so many products. Um, Surface is, is one of my favorite things, and we'll see a new Surface phone which will be very similar to the Note, and we'll see that in the springtime. And so it will be a mini-computer in my pocket. My, my phone right now is a mini-computer. I wirelessly can put it to my monitor, and I can use Word and PowerPoint and all the things that I know and love from my phone. So we'll see phones becoming more important than laptops as time marches on. How big of an opportunity is this for other products now that this is out of the uh, off the shelf for the Christmas season? Well, I think the biggest uh, gain will be from Apple, and Apple will, will win from this because they have a new product, and nobody else really has a new product. And the other one is the, uh, the, the Google phone. Mm-hmm. Um, that will, those two uh, players will win from this uh, for the Christmas season for sure. All right. So, is is do you think in the long run that people will buy the next generation of Samsung phone and this won't be an issue? Because these, you know, this is a, a quite a big competitor, man. This is one of the big ones. This was well, the biggest. I mean, they make the most handsets. They 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 pale. Um, um, Apple pales in comparison to how many phones Samsung ships. It's it's crazy. Uh, and so, if you look at the worldwide numbers, um, Apple's really a drop in the bucket to to Android. Android's number one, and of course, Windows is is uh, almost but dead. Um, and I would say that um, from a commercial, from a uh, residential standpoint, but from a commercial standpoint, you're going to see them really win in the end for commercial. If you look at uh, uh, Hewlett Packard, well, they used to be one of the the biggies in um, in phone way back early. Uh, they had gotten out of the phone game. They're back in the phone game, and they have some really nice phones. Uh, the Elite X3 is one I would uh, highly recommend. Beautiful phone. And again, that's more for, from the business side. So residential, I, I see um, Android continuing to lead uh, with Apple trailing. And then from the business side, uh, Windows seems to be the one to choose. Uh, Derek Sardo has been with us, president of Rolling Thunder, thunder.ca. To find out more, Samsung has stopped making the Galaxy Note 7 after halting its sales. Derek, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a good day. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.